Hello and welcome to the Noise Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I am joined by Matt Noveski. You may know Matt from the band Blue October. He's also produced groups like Daryl DMC McDaniels from Run DMC, Alpha Rev, I Am Dynamite, Reed Turner. As well, joining us is his engineer, whose name is Robert Sewell. Uh, we have a really cool talk about all things producing. They have a really cool studio called Orb Recording Studios down in Austin, Texas, and it looks like a pretty amazing place, and we really get into what it's like to work with them. Before we get started with the show, I want to tell you about a cool thing Noise Creators just did. Years ago, I published a book that's been very popular on the music business called Get More Fans, the DIY Guide to the New Music Business. The number one complaint I always received about it was it was too long at 720 pages. So what Noise Creators did is we made a version of it you can read in 30 minutes to learn everything you can about promoting your music. And all you have to do is head over to our blog or go to our website and under the more tab it says ebook. Take a look at it, and if you like what you see, just give us a thanks by telling some of your friends about Noise Creators. So, with that, I want you to also listen to this episode, get to know Matt and Rob, and after that, head over to Matt's Noise Creators profile, get to know his biography, his discography, listen to his Spotify playlist, and get to know him a little bit better. I think this is an awesome talk. I think this is an awesome talk, so check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? Today we're using a Neumann U87. Nice. Yeah, 1073 into uh, the Tech C1B. You guys are going super classic. Oh, I guess so, yeah. Tell me about your background in music. Well, we Rob and I both, obviously, you know, we come from two different places, but uh, we work together all the time now, so... Um, I'm a I'm a musician. I've been playing bass since I was uh, probably 11 or 12, and then you know, kind of never looked back. I don't have any hobbies. This is all I do, you know. So being in bands was just really all I cared about all through school, um, and then and then getting out of high school and going into college as a bass player. I grew up in Michigan, and there aren't a lot of ba- there weren't a lot of bass players where I grew up. So I got a lot of gigs, and it kind of just interfered with my schoolwork. To the point where, you know, it was like, man, this might be something, you know, that I could 
that I love to do. It's my passion, but may, it might be viable, you know, to, to actually do this for a living playing live. And then, uh, long story short, I moved to Austin, Texas. I joined blue October when I was in my early twenties. And when we went to make our first record in 2000, uh, we worked with a guy named Nick Launay. He was a Australian, well, English British producer who's lived in Australia. He did a lot of the silver chair stuff. Is that correct? He did. Yeah. He did uh, a huge chunk of it. He was actually just finishing with them when we started with him. Very cool. Yeah. So we got to go to their show, which was really cool. But but Nick Nick just really like he and I really hit it off. We had a real chemistry, you know, and, and, and I was really I had no idea what a producer really did, you know, when we started working with him. I was just like, Oh yeah, cool, you know, let's let's go make a record. I was just so thrilled to be in a studio making a real record, you know, for the first time in my life that it was all just it was just amazing, you know, it was just such a cool experience. But he really like I just I, I just loved watching him work. And I loved watching the whole process. But the thing that really struck me was, at least back then, you know, a producer could could wear a lot of different hats, but there was a lot of different interpretations of how a producer worked and what they did. And he, a lot of times, wasn't totally hands-on with the engineering and, you know, with, with tweaking knobs and stuff like that. It was really, you know, just more of a creative force. And I almost looked at it like, man, that's kind of the role that I play in every band I've ever been in. You know, I'm the guy, I'm the guy that hears a song and I'm like, well, man, that it take, it's taken us a long time to get to the chorus or that bridge sucks or, you know, or, or, you know, it's like, I've always kind of done that. So I really, I just, I really love the guy. I really love watching him work. And he really inspired me to start doing that on my own. So I started working with some, some local acts and started working with friends bands. And then it just sort of kind of naturally turned into this thing where it was like, it'd be really fun to try this out and try getting in the studio to do other things and satisfy my ADD by doing a lot of different styles of music rather than try to be in a band like Fishbone. And then it, it all just kind of one thing led to another and it all just worked out. You know, I just really got to the point where I started having bands seek me out and then, you know, had, had a, a couple songs on the radio and, and do well in alternative and, and then, and, you know, just get to a point where it became a big part of my career, you know, and then that led to making the studio. And then that's, uh, I'm sorry, to building this, this studio orb from the ground up. And that's where I met Robert, actually. Rob, you want to give a little background? Yeah, my, uh, my background in music's a little different than Matt. I grew up just a hardcore fan of music. Didn't grow up in a band. Didn't grow up playing music, although I begged my parents for every instrument lesson growing up. But I played sports and... Uh, and shortly after high school, my interest in music just kept growing and growing and just becoming a fan. And back then, the whole YouTube artist thing started kind of popping off. And um, I became a big fan of that and loved just the idea of being behind the scenes and helping helping an artist create. And actually, back then, I, what got me into it is I was doing a little film work. And I was like, man, it'd be so cool if I could record the artist because I love music so much and then also do the video for them. So I kind of, you know, did probably what a lot of people do is went to Guitar Center, bought a cheap mic and interface and started recording in my closet and uh, never, never looked back. And so uh, here we are. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about you guys' studio. Okay, Orb Recording Studios. <laughs> All good, man. Mm-hmm. Um so, so Orb Recording Studios, it's a commercial recording studio. You know, it's 5,600 square feet, first of all. There's, there's two separate 
facilities with recording facilities within the building, but it's all built from the ground up. And it's just, it's a lot different than anything else that's going on around here in central Texas. And that's why my partner CB Hudson and I decided to build and to build from the ground up is to do something that was completely original, completely ours. You know, it, it really stemmed originally from, I was doing so much producing when I was home and I was off the road. It was really all I would do when I'd get home from being on tour and I would go to all these other studios and I, I kind of had gripes about a lot of things, but then it was like, man, I like this about the studio, but I don't like this about this one. And in Austin's kind of a weird animal, you know, there's, there, there aren't a lot of, of nicer, you know, pre, I mean, there are a few, but there are a lot of home studios around here, you know, there aren't, aren't really what I was looking for for some of these projects. So it's hard to lure a band uh, from out of town, you know, into a home studio because they're still as great as as some home studios are, there still can be that stigma attached to that, you know, like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not in my, you know, as an artist in my safe zone where I can just be me, you know, I'm in someone's home, you know, you know, so, so there was a need for it, but my partner and I were, we looked at the whole idea of, you know, finding a space and flipping it and, you know, in, in sort of turning it into what we wanted. But the more we dug into that, we were like, no, you know, then you're, you're compromising no matter what, you know, it's not, it's not your vision. It's not how exactly how you want it to be. So we decided to just build the thing and it took years. It was, it was not an easy process. Uh, in fact, there were times where I felt like I was losing my mind literally. (laughs) And it was tough, you know, because we had to go through a lot of issues just as far as, you know, just like building any business from the ground up. But when it was all said and done, it was just, it's this beautiful building where people walk in here and after going to the website and they're like, Oh yeah, it looks cool. And they walk in here and they're like, man, you just have to walk in this place to get it, to understand it's, it, you know, my partner and I are both musicians first and foremost. So we wanted to build a studio that catered to that, that didn't necessarily just cater to producers and engineers and mixers, but really catered to the band, you know, or to the artists, like somewhere where you felt really comfortable and you felt like you're at home when you walked in. So it's a really nice, I mean, it's definitely a premium high-end studio. We've got excellent gear and I'll let Robert talk about the gear for a second. But, but from my point of view as a bass player, I spend like 90% of the time on the couch watch tv you know because it doesn't take that long to track my parts so we we have this kick-ass lounge with arcade games and and a pool table and you know just it's really it's really fun it's like the kind of place like my daughter's here right now Hmm. you know she comes up here and this is somewhere she like wants to go hang out all day you know so we're really really proud of what we built it's really caught on we've gotten really busy in a short amount of time we've only been open two and a half years now Mm. and we've had some of the biggest acts in the business come through here and then come back you know so but as far as like some of the specifics i'll let rob take over on that gear wise pretty much have all the standard stuff that you would find in a a studio out in la new york or nashville everything's kind of centered around our console which is an ssl g-series which when we got it was pretty much in perfect shape. So we really lucked out. Great sounding console. Everyone loves it. Of course, what it's known for, the drums. Drums sound amazing through it. Uh, outboard gear wise, you know, we have pretty much, like I said, all the standard stuff, you know, the, the vintage 1073s and 1176s and LA2As and the tube techs and all that stuff. Monitoring wise, you know, we have the NS10s and Gentle X. And then our mains are actually Oceanways. Oh, wow. Yeah, which we love and, and artists love. And if you're listening and don't know what Ocean Waves are, you should definitely look them up. And if you ever get a chance to listen to anything on Ocean Wave monitoring, you definitely should. It'll make you cry. It will. <laughs> and we have some artists that have actually specifically come here just because 
of the oceanways. Mm. We love those. Other than that, it's pretty, you know, we have a, a 1938 Steinway and a Baldwin full grand, full concert grand and B3, you know, all the kind of standard stuff, roads, some keyboards. Miscellaneous instruments in our room yeah. too. So one, one thing about Austin is a lot of, you know, this is like, it's kind of known some for South by Southwest and ACL, yes, which are, which are, you know, spring and fall. And then, so all these acts come into town. So we, we have enough gear here that if a band were coming in from out of town, they wouldn't have to worry about bringing a bunch of stuff up here. Like we pretty much have it covered, you know? So. Yeah. And one of the cool things too, um, about that is a lot of studios that you go to will have instruments and most of them will be on a rental basis. If you want a guitar, you have to rent it. Or if you want this kind of mic, you have to rent it. But one of the cool things that um, we we do, if you book a room, you kind of have free reign to the instrument library. So we open the instrument library door, take the artist in there, and pretty much whatever whatever you want. You want this guitar, you want this bass, pick it out, go shopping, and let's record with it. So As long as you leave it here. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Very cool. What instruments do you guys play? I'm a bass player. I always kind of joke that there's two types of bass players. There's like the weakest guitar player in the band that was forced <laughs> to play yes. bass. Yes. And then there's a the bass player that actually plays bass because I want to. Mm-hmm. I'm in I'm definitely in the later latter category and I'm not and you know, I don't mean that like I'm a great bass player I just mean like I I really did want to play it. Mm-hmm. Um I have two uncles that both played bass and they're both just total badasses like just amazing bass players. I was actually listening back to one of my uncle's old his record that they put out in the late 60s and it, I was just like man I got to go learn that bass line. It's amazing. It's really cool. So that's kind of that, that's my main thing and that still is my main thing, but I kind of fake it on other stuff just for the purpose mainly of like songwriting or just adding parts like when we're tracking, you know, if we're I've always kind of if we're in the studio and I hear a guitar part, sometimes it's easier to pick up a guitar and lay it down than it is to try to explain it to the guitar player what's in my head, you know? I, I, we work with Tim Palmer a lot with my band, and he and I kind of have that in common. Like, he's definitely a much better guitar player than I am, but we both sort of are stunt guitarists, you know? It's like we add a lot of parts to records. I've played on just about every Blue October record. I've played guitar on at least one or two songs. Mm. And then I play on a lot of the stuff I produce as well. But it kind of ends there with me. I can't play anything else proficiently. I wish I was an awesome drummer. I wish I could play keys, you know, but I just pretty much put everything into bass. It's really all I've cared about. So that's that's my bread and butter. And then I do some vocals too. Nice. Yeah. So we have a saying on this podcast, on one side of the spectrum, you have like your Steve Albini's who don't really get involved in the song where they're just going to get it to sound good, maybe come on a take, and then you have like a John Feldman who fully rewrites the band's song while they're producing. Where do you often see yourself on that pers- uh, spectrum? You know, I think that actually this is something that Robert and I definitely both have in common is like, we're, we're not, neither of us are just producers. We're both songwriters as well. You know, so I think we're both pretty active in the songwriting process. I'd say so. I'd yeah. say on average, like it's definitely a big part of it. Uh, you know, but for me, it depends on who it is and it depends on what genre and wh- like kind of, you know, what the band needs. You know, one of the things that, that I've run into as an artist, and I always have an artist first mentality and approach to producing, by the way, but I always put myself in the artist's shoes first because I am one and I know what it's like to live on that side of the glass, you know? So when I, one thing I always do whenever I get hired to do a new project is I have an, I have that discussion with the band way before the process where I say, what is it you're looking for and what is it you need? Because what I don't want to do is start, you know, I don't want to start stepping on any toes and I don't want to start assuming that it's okay for me to do something that you covet and that you find very personal and you don't want to share. 
I've been in the position as an artist where all of a sudden the record's done and the producer's kind of hitting you and he's like, oh, well, now I wrote that part of the bridge and blah, and there's, you know, and there's all this gray area and it's like, wait a minute, we didn't, we never talked about that. We never, you know, so. Yeah, that's pretty tacky. It, really, it can get really uncomfortable. It can get really weird. So to me, it's like, it depends on who the artist is and what they're looking for. I've definitely done stuff where it's like I've come in and been really hands off as far as all that goes and just really been there to guide through the recording process and like structure and all that. And then done the polar opposite where it's been like like what we're doing right now actually with an artist where we're spending a good month before we even start recording anything with just going through every single song creatively, you know, from from a writing point of view, you know, so definitely a bit of everything. Very cool. What do you think you bring to records most often? For me, this is definitely a different answer for me than it is for Rob, so you should answer this too. But for me, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm not an engineer. That's not what I do. So what I feel like I bring to the table is perspective. I feel like I bring perspective uh, kind of from an old school producer approach, I guess, in the sense that it's all about the song. I'm listening to the song performances, you know, but I'm really, really, really big on capturing moments you know, and getting really, really good performances out of artists and motivating artists and getting them building trust. You know, I really, I think that like, I think that half of the battle being in the studio, especially when you have a full band, is getting everyone on the same page and getting everyone to be excited and feel positive and feel really good about what they're doing and feel like they have a family that they trust and that they can work with in the studio. And I feel like I'm good at that. I feel like I'm good at, at dealing with people and helping them get from A to B, you know, so sort of being a big brother sometimes, sort of being a fifth member or sixth member of the band, you know, but at the end of the day, making sure that the artist, more than anyone, more than management or label or whoever mm. sometimes, that the artist walks away with a product that they feel great about, but they feel like what they were trying to do and their vision was met. Cool. So what's a common mistake you guys see bands do before getting to the studio? I would say just not being prepared. A lot of, especially novice or, or, or new artists, really excited about getting into the studio and maybe they do a Kickstarter or something as soon as they get the money and they just want to get in and get it done and they're not prepared. Uh, a lot of artists too maybe sometimes feel like they're going to get into the studio and all their problems and stuff will be solved. You know, Especially if a song's not done, they'll come in and they just think we're going to do a bunch of magic. So I'd say that's probably a mistake. I mean, what do you think, Matt? I agree yeah. 100%. I, I, my, my biggest... Like my biggest thing is, you know, with technology, it's it's really easy to to make things sound good. It's really easy sonically to take, you know, you can sit there and polish turds all day long. I'm sorry, but you can, you know, mm -hmm. it's like it's not hard like it used to be. You can take, you know, a, 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 a crappy song and make it sound professional, but that's not the point. You know, the the point is to get something believable and to get something with emotion and something that resonates with people. And in order to do that, people have to perform. People have to get on their instruments and they have to be able to actually to actually get it across, to be able to, you know, to pick up the guitar and actually put what they're feeling into that part and put the hard work and the dedication into it so that when it is time to record you capture something really special. You can't just walk in and, oh, I'm going in the studio and these guys are pros and they have the tools yeah. to fix everything and to tune everything and yeah. to quantize it and make it perfect. And, you know, I just, I feel like people rely on that too much. I will say too, another thing from like a songwriting perspective is we get a lot of new artists that they'll come in and record or if they want us to produce or help with songwriting or whatever, we'll listen to the first song and say, all right, cool, what else you have? Well, this is my first song I wrote, my only song. It's like, wait, you've only written one song? Yeah. 
like maybe you should write 10 songs, 20 songs, because that first song you write most likely is not going to be your best song. So, you know, or even if it's a band getting ready to do a whole album, it's like before you come to the studio, you should, you should have at least 20 ideas or something, Yeah, you know, and then pick from that to get into that, uh, into the studio. But the first 10 song ideas you get most likely are not going to be your best 10 songs you have. I asked our manager one time when we were on the bus, I said, what do you look for when you sign a new artist? And he said, I look for somebody who never stops writing. Mm, that's true. Yeah. So what's a smart thing you guys see do bands do during the recording process? Listen and be open. Yeah, be open-minded, for yeah. sure. I think that's rule number one. I always say, I have, I have one rule that I always have in pre-production when I work with a band or with an artist is, I say, we, this applies to me and, and the band, we try everything once. At least once, just try it. Let's not waste time arguing about it, about why it's not going to work. <laughs> you know, because sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it does. And and it sounds like a ridiculous idea, but if you just try it and you don't like it, then I will move on and we can put it to bed, and that's fine. And I in turn have to do that as well. And I feel like for the most part that really works. You know, you don't you don't sit there arguing about something that about hypotheticals. I like that. What happens when you guys in a band disagree about something? The strongest person wins. We take them <laughs> <out>. <laughs> that, that's, that, that, that's the best quip I've gotten on that one. <laughs> we take them out front and beat their ass. <laughs> Very Texas uh, style, guys. Very Texas style. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, you know, I like, not to sound corny or anything, but I really do feel like the diplomatic solution is always the best solution. You know, I feel like you have to do your best to make everyone happy if you can, you know, and you have to try to compromise. You have to try to always put yourself in someone else's shoes and see their point of view. And if you're not willing to do that, then you have issues, you have problems and being in a band may not be for you. You know, being in a band is like being married Mm -hmm. to a lot of people at the same time. You know, you got to deal with each other's desires. You got to deal with each other's tastes, idiosyncrasies, you know, little things. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of things you share. There's a lot of things you go through together in the studio and on the road. And you, you have to be able to understand and work with each other. And I think as producers, sometimes you almost play the role of referee. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you're I've literally felt like a therapist at times, you know, where I'm like, okay, come here, come here, John, you know, let's go in the other room. Let's talk about why you're feeling this way, you know, and, and, and it's all true. I mean, that stuff really happens. It really does, you know, but, but the thing that you got to remember is artists, by nature, we're emotional people, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of messed up, you know, (laughs) like we're not the easiest people in the world to deal with. Some of us are flaky. Some of us are forgetful. Some of us are moody, you know, but that's why we have such a need to, and desire to create, you know, Mm -hmm. and to get in the studio in the first place is because we're dealing with those emotions. I think that it's always nice though, to have a band that has an odd number of people in it because then you have tiebreaker votes. Mm, it's a, a, a very good point. So uh, let's get into how you guys feel about some modern production tools. Do amp simulators dash reamping have a role in your production? Yeah, I mean, it dep- again, I think that that I think that definitely depends on who the artist is. You know, it depends on what they're looking for. I think that it can be a crutch for sure. It can be the wrong thing to do if you have an artist that's coming in and they're really trying to get something that's really organic, obviously, and you know, and they, and and that's not really what they want at the end of the day. I think that it could be an easy route. It may not be the right thing to do, but then again, there are some artists where, honestly, you may just it, it may just be a huge waste of energy and time to try to do something just because you can say that you did it. When you can take you can take certain things and manipulate it and make it sound a certain way that works for the song that works for the record. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you chime in because I know that you have feelings about that. 
Yeah, I I love amp simulators or when it, you know any any kind of tool or whatever. I, that's how I look at it. It's a it's a tool. It's not something that I exclusively use. I mean, I use amps and stuff all the time as well. But like Matt said, if if the song is calling for it and it's going to sound good, like uh, to me, there's just things you can do in the box that you can't do, and you can do it in a creative way and make something unique sounding. You know, instead of and I think that's that's kind of where technology is now in, in modern day music is people are getting so creative on how they make sounds mm. that I, I, I love I love using that. I love pulling up whatever new amp simulator it is and just messing with it and taking five minutes to get creative and, and see what happens. And most of the time it works out. If it doesn't, then, you know, you can just go back to the amp and do whatever. But I, I and I and I'd say a lot of times, too, when we're working together. I uh, always get a DI and, an, you know, if we are tracking with amps, I always get a DI and it just gives me room later on even to take it and do something cool with it as well. So I just look at it as a, as a tool and another avenue making creative sound. How about uh, drum samples dash MIDI program drums? Love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually hate MIDI, but mm. uh, I use sample drums all the time. And when, when I'm recording... You know, we'll we'll take like field sounds or we'll take a box and hit a box or something to make a sound. And again, just going back to the amp simulators, like just getting creative and, and whether it's a sample that I already have or making a sample and either blending that or making a beat out of that, whatever it is. Like, again, if the song calls for it and it's going to and it creates a feeling uh, or a vibe, then I say go for it. You know, sometimes too, th- like we live in a, a different day and age where people don't have the budgets that they used to. So they're mm-hmm. not. They're not blocking out months and months to come in and record an album anymore. You know, it's like, okay, I need to do a whole album. Let's do it in two weeks. Maybe if you're lucky, maybe 10 days, you know? So to me, it's like if you're if you're in the studio and it's the difference of, let's say you have a drummer in there and the drummer's like, man, I'm really looking for this. You know, I really wish I had a black beauty. I really wish that I had a black beauty that blended in with what I got. And we actually have a sample of a Black Beauty that we tracked here in the studio. It's a lot easier to blend that sample in than it is to go try to find a Black Beauty and rent it and bring it in and tune it and get it ready. You know, it's I mean, it's it's a matter of practicality sometimes. Very cool. How about do you guys master your own records? No, I, you know, one thing that we get, we actually had a conversation about this yesterday. It's kind of ironic, but when it comes to mastering, that's such a specific process and maybe this is just kind of my background and maybe this is because I've been in rock bands, you know, my whole life. And we've always traditionally gone to a mastering house to have something mastered, but I've never felt like we are like, we can really properly call ourselves a mastering studio. It's not something that we really have the gear for, or that we're really proficient at. And I think a lot of people assume that master, I I think a lot of people don't really know what mastering is anymore. You know, they say, oh, yeah, you mix and master your track when you're done there at the studio. To me, I think that some of it's smoke and mirrors. I think sometimes you have people that are like, yeah, yeah, I do that. And they're not really actually mastering. They're like, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, nowadays with technology and the plugins and the mastering plugins and all that stuff, like you can definitely throw a chain together and master your track. But for me, what I always tell people is if I'm mixing record or song i don't want to master it i I want a second pair of ears on it it's always going to turn out better you know because i'm so involved with the song especially if it's something that i had writing and then production and and engineering and and then mixing like 
I've been so involved in that record or that song that I want outside perspective. So I know that, you know, there's a mastering engineer out there that, that'll hear that, hear the song, hear the record and hear something that I didn't. And so, um, I think it's, I think it's just, you know, I know there's people out there that can do it for me. It's like I, I have before and I can do it, but I don't call myself a mastering engineer. And I think it's just better to, to hand it off to someone. And that's what it is for me is what you just yeah. said. It's, 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 there are people out there that do it better to me. It's like, yeah. I've always viewed mastering as such a specific thing that whenever we've worked with mastering engineers, that's all they do. Right. Like they, they, like well, they've almost, dedicated everything to that craft. It's almost like mastering. disrespecting the mastering engineers as well. It's like, like you said, that's all they do. It's like if, if, you know, if all, you know, that'd be like someone coming out of their bedroom that's never mixed a record before. And it's like, oh no, uh, I know you produce this, Robert, but I want to go ahead and mix it. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, wait a minute, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure you can, but right. I, I'm going to do it better. And I know that. So I'm sure it's the same thing. You know, it's, it's a mastering. It's almost like, I don't know, like you said, people just think it's not important and stuff. And it's like, they don't, they don't take it as seriously yeah. as they should, you know, and it, it is a very important part of the and when process. You, yeah. And just, you know, for artists out there, like just look up your favorite records or look up what's out right now. Just look up the credits, find the mastering engineers. And what you'll see is like, there's a small, especially the big stuff, there's a small group out there that's all doing it. And and they do a great job. So it's like, yeah. We, we, and we actually have a couple mastering engineers that we work with pretty regularly too. So they know our stuff. They know our workflow. They know what to expect mix-wise. Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah and, it go, and, it, and it goes well. And, we, and there's actually a guy here in town that we love that we work with quite a bit. So, I so, love, who, so who's that? I love keeping it local. Uh, Jerry Tubb at Terra Nova. Cool. Yeah, I really like Jerry. He's great. So – how long do you guys usually work on the recording of a song, and then how long does a mix usually take? Usual case scenario. That's a loaded question, right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, one, no, no one, no one likes this one. Yet all the musicians tell us that they love this question. Yeah, the real answer, or the answer that we're <laughs> going to tell everybody. Um, <laughs> man, to you know, again, uh, you know, not to uh, to be too vague or anything, mm-hmm. but. I really do feel like it depends on the artist. Mm-hmm. I really and do. And the song. And, and the song, absolutely. I mean, I, you gotta, I think part of your job as a producer is to get together with the band beforehand and try to estimate what you're going to need. I mean, that does fall, that's part of the producer's responsibility, you know, is to get together with the artist and go, you know, this record, you're being really ambitious. We're going to bring in a string section for half the record. We're going to do horns. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. If you just try to cram all that into like, you know, a full record in five days or six days or something, because you can, the record's going to suffer, you know, mm-hmm. and it, ultimately it is. But again, it's that whole balance because the budget's, aren't the same as they used to be. You don't have the luxury of doing things like you did before where you could work for three, four hours a day and if you're tired, just called it a day and then came back when you were inspired. You have to find inspiration now, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I generally say, you know, like hypothetically, if I had a rock band, like a four-piece rock band and there wasn't a ton of crazy overdubs going on with that project, I think about a day and a half to two days for for tracking for a song is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's that's pretty quick, but I, I feel pretty comfortable doing that. One thing I love about the workflow that Robert and I have work, when we work together is we don't waste any time. We don't mess around. Like we get stuff done and we work pretty quickly. I think mm-hmm. if, you, if you sit there and you, you overanalyze things and you start picking every little detail apart and you're not living in the moment to some degree, 
it can kind of lose its it can lose the the song can lose some of its yeah it goes it goes backwards i mean i think you should always trust your your first instinct i feel like it's always going to be better and i I feel like we we do a pretty good job of that you know when someone has an idea whether it's the band or one of us we rock you know roll with it and if everyone's liking it roll with it i think the minute you start analyzing that picking that apart and like well what if we tried this fill what if we tried this fill what if we tried this fill then it's like the whole song suffers, and, and, and the exact same thing could be said for mixing. Right, now, even right. though Robert is a mixer, I I could I could even safely say that I know he agree, agrees with this. Definitely depends on the artist because sometimes the mix, and sometimes in all fairness, a mix isn't necessarily in tune with what the artist was looking for, and you kind of have to go back to the drawing board. You got to do what you got to do. Sometimes it's a really smooth, easy process. But there are artists that can be fickle and don't really know what they want, and they'll start tearing things down without realizing how that affects everything else in the mix. Mm -hmm. And it can turn what should have been maybe a day on a song into a week. Mm -hmm. You know, so it really, to me, it really depends on the artist and how much they're willing to trust trust you with what you do, you know, and trust you with your job. Very cool. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? Me, I've learned so many lessons i've learned a lot of really like really positive a lot of positive techniques like a lot of things that i've picked up on just as far as like person like person skills like people skills being able to deal with people juggle personalities and i've also learned some 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 of the opposite which i feel equally as grateful to have learned which is i've learned some things that i don't like some things that i don't like to do you know we've worked with uh we've worked with producers who who aren't necessarily maybe like household names like the biggest producers in the world but are so good at what they do, and maybe it hasn't been as in easy of a road for them because they are good people. You know, they re- like they're some of the good guys. They're really in it for the right reasons, and they're really passionate about making the artist happy before everyone else. And then we've also worked with producers that have a big name, and you're excited because you go in and work with them, and then you're like, I don't know if this dude really cares, mm-hmm. you know, or like this guy's. Still, or, or another thing that it really turned me off is. I've worked with a, a one, maybe two producers where at the end of the day, they always felt that their their opinion was above the bands, that their mm. opinion was above everyone else. I hate that. I don't agree with that. I do feel like you have to have some authority and you do have to be able to direct a session. If you're talking about somebody else's art and you're talking about somebody else's song and you think that your opinion is always better than theirs or it's always the right thing to do, I'm not – I just – I don't agree with that. And mm-hmm. I, I don't – I do not approach – production that way at all i think that's a great point so tell me about one of the best moments you guys have had in the studio the last two years have been so eventful mm. there has been so much in so, like i feel like we've packed 20 years into two years here wow you know there's been so many different things that have been so so positive so many good things you know you yeah maybe something that just recently happened that that was that i loved was so i'm a big big pop fan love uh the swedes and you know all those guys over there and we had a session with uh, vici oh, wow. swedish uh dj and also producer and songwriter and so um it was a three-day session with those guys but what was really cool for me is that they came over and there was i want to say like six other producers with them and uh one of them who's who I love and I love all the stuff that he's done. And, and so that was really cool for me, but. So, so who was that? I, I was still a lot of that stuff. Uh, Carl Falk. He's oh done, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. One direction, Ariana Grande and all that stuff. And, um, 
so it, it very surreal for me. It was very cool to learn from those guys and and get to watch and 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 work work beside them, you know. But one of the cool things was we had like six stations set up throughout a room, like each ISO booth, the live room. We had two setups in the control room and our our you know our main setup. And we had a thumb drive and everyone was just working on stuff and just passing a thumb drive around. And it was just a big, like, it, almost like just a big collaborative, like factory almost. And it, it was so cool. And it, I mean, in, in each day, I mean, I think we were working on two songs at once, you know, but it was just like someone, oh, I'm going to add this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And I, that to me was one of my favorite sessions and it's just because I'm a fan of those guys, but how they work, man, they, some of the hardest working people, good guys had fun in the studio. So, I mean, that, I, yeah, I that's really that. cool. Yeah. For, I, for me, something really, really cool happened and it was cool because it, like all of us got to get involved, but we had DMC from run DMC came uh-huh. in. Yeah, yeah. The best guy. I've worked with him a bunch. Dude. Just the nicest guy in the world. Uh-huh. Like such so down to earth, so much fun, so like n- no negative energy at all. You mm-hmm. know, just walks in the door and is just just there to have fun and yeah. have a good time. You know, and it was like it sets the tone. You know, and he loved telling stories, which is cool. Oh, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> no <laughs> stories are amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I was growing up. I was a huge, like massive Run DMC fan. I mean, same. Yeah. My, you know, I, I mean, I remember, you know, buying the cassettes. I remember going to get tougher than leather when it first came out, you know, and like, I just, I'm just such a big fan. So like him coming in and being able to co-write and then play on and produce with him was, it just, it was, it blew my mind. I mean, it was just such a cool experience. It was nerve wracking before he came in. Uh-huh. I didn't know what to expect because, you know, you grow up a fan and it's, 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 you know, it's, 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 a uh, it can be frightening, you know, but then when he gets in here and he is who he is and you're like, wow, you know what? This is just a normal guy who's just here and is just treating everyone as equals and is here to just, just to have fun and see what we can do. And, and you wind up with this really awesome, this really awesome project with all these different people coming and going and playing on it and having fun. And, you know, it's just, it was really cool. We, we, we brought in Kenny Olson uh, to play guitar. We had Justin from my band sing on it. It was really fun, man. It was just a big family atmosphere. And it was, that was definitely one of the highlights of my life. That's rad. Yeah. How about one of the worst moments and what you guys learned from it? Well, I can definitely chime in on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to be, you know, just to be totally, to be fair, of course, and to be respectful. I can't name, you know, I wouldn't name names or anything like that. Obviously, that would be, that would be pretty horrible. But we've, one thing I feel that we, that has happened and it's, it's made us better and it's made us grow and it's made me a little bit more streetwise, I guess, is, I'm a really nice guy. I'm really easygoing. I'm very trusting, but I've learned that sometimes there are people who will sell you on something that, that isn't what you actually think it is. So we've had people, because we have this big, nice, fancy studio, we've had people that want to get in here and they want to be here and they want to be a part of the process. So they'll, they'll kind of, they kind of have an angle, but you don't really know what it is until it's almost too late, you know? And so we, we've had to kind of get a little bit tougher and we've had to get, get a little bit more, you know, just a little bit more of a private club, you know, like, hey, you, if you're going to be here and you're going to be a part of this, you need to earn it. You know, you need to actually get to know us. And you need to prove that we can trust you instead of just, man, you got to see what I'm doing. This is the hottest stuff out there and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and smooth talking and all that. And that goes for artists as well. I've, I've actually had an artist send me demos. And then when it came time to get together and work, 
it wasn't even that person singing on the demos. Wow. So in the studio and finding that out in person, that was probably the most uncomfortable, yeah. frustrating three days I've ever had in my life. Jeez. Very strange. But at the end of the day, the right thing to do is, is to just to be honest and just do what you can. You know, Try your hardest and then go, this isn't working and this is why it isn't working. Plain and simple. So let's get into you guys tasting music a little bit. What's a perfect record somebody else has made and what about it makes it perfect? Man, I don't know if I've heard a perfect record. Wow, that's the, that's the fir- first time we've gotten that one. How do you... How do you define a perfect record and what is a perfect record? I, to me, it's like that. The, the perfection is that for years I can't still figure out how they did this. Right, but I bet you if you ask that producer who did it, he'd tell you it's far from perfect and he yes. picked a million things. Uh-huh. It. But that's um, what makes them so good is that greater vision. Yeah, that's true. Well, give me as close to perfect as we can get. I got one. And, and I guess that the criteria that I would say for this is – Longevity mm-hmm. is the fact that I still love it today as much as I loved it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And the fact that every single song on that record I can listen to front to back. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear a lot these days of, you know, like, oh yeah, I can listen to that whole record instead of just the two singles, you mm-hmm. know? And that's becoming more and more rare, of course, you know, but because there's not as much of an emphasis as, as putting out a full album or even an EP anymore. You know, now it's all about singles. But, but I think a record and that whole idea of a record and it being a moment in time and it telling a story, okay, computer. And I know, and I know that, that that's probably like the stock answer. That, that's that's and, the most common one, yeah. Yeah, for sure. and, I, and, I'm sure, and I'm sure that people are probably think it and then say something else because they don't want to sound like everyone else. But mm. it's true. Mm-hmm. It is a brilliant record. There's a reason that so many people refer to it and so many people love it. It told a story. It stood out. And it still – I mean I still listen to it and I'm like, how in the hell – did they do that? How did they get those sounds? How how did they just how did everything just fall into place to where you make this this timeless collection of songs that flows so perfectly from one to the next? You know, and I and I'm not one of those like hardcore Radiohead till I die fans. I like Radiohead. I respect them. The last few records like, eh, I've listened to them, you know, mm-hmm. but that record, get out of town. Nice. It's, <laughs> how about three favorite producers? For for me, for Matt, I would say I'd have to say George Martin. And then I would probably say Dave Jordan. Mm-hmm. And I say either Toby Wright or Quincy Jones. My fir- first and foremost uh, would be Max Martin. And I'd say him and, and everyone is kind of a part of his camp. Skrillex. Nice. Skrillex. I've uh, been a big fan of his. Love what he's doing. And I, I, and I, I got to shout out this guy because. Uh, He's such a good dude. He's Benny Blanco. Oh yeah, one of the, one of the best. I, yeah. I I know him well. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a good dude. And I'll do this just for Matt because uh, we never agree on anything. I'll say Quincy Jones as well. Yeah. Nice, very <laughs> nice, very nice. Okay, let's get into five of you guys' favorite records in your musical development. Just give me five that really shaped you as you were growing up. I would say, I mean, you have to say Michael Jackson Thriller. I feel like. It's been an important record for everyone. Mm-hmm. Grew up listening to him. I'm going to say something random that kind of got me into music. Owl City, Ocean Eyes. So when I first heard that album, became a big fan. And everyone knows Owl City because of Fireflies or whatever. But I had that when I first heard that, I was in high school. I had that album on repeat. And what he was doing, like I guess production-wise, at the time I didn't know what was going on. But the sounds and, and how he was, I mean, everything was in the box and... 
he was a kid from a small town just making music on his laptop. When I first heard that, it really made me want to get into music. And still to this day, I mean, he's he's one of my big influences. Um, so I'd have to say him. Then I'd have to say I want to be that guy, but Katy Perry, Teenage Dream. Nice. It's one of my favorites, too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I love it. But I'm also trying to think of like big, uh, big stages in my career so far. And I remember that album was kind of right when I was like getting into production and, and I knew a little bit, I was going to school at the time and stuff. And so when that album came out, I was just studying it and, and diving into the production and just being a big Max Martin fan. And I just love what they did with that album. I'm going to backtrack a little bit to Maroon 5 songs about Jane. That's a pretty going back to, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's pretty close. I love that album from start to finish. I'm going to say something super recent people probably hate me for this but the justin bieber purpose i feel like he opened up a lot of doors with that and and you know what the whole team did josh and skrillex and diplo and pooh bear all the guys that worked with them i think what they did you know they took a lot of risk especially for justin where he's at in his career took a lot of risk with that and it blew open a lot of doors and you hear a lot of the influence too now on a lot of records that are coming out and I hear, I hear so many artists just throwing the same sounds yeah. that I hear from that, like that dance hall reggae thing. Mm-hmm. Like I hear that all over the place now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a great record too. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, it's a great record. As much as it pains me to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I would say my five, uh, the five records that probably influenced me the most. And I'm just kind of going back to like thinking of the records that I listened to growing up the most. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've got some pretty stock answers because I'm a '90s, you know, '90s rock guy. But Sly and the Family Stone stand, that was a record that, you know, I listened to my dad's vinyl collection when I was a kid, and that got me into Sly. And then I became a really big fan of everything that Sly did. And being a bass player, obviously, I'm a big Larry Graham fan. And, you know, I just love, uh, I love pretty much everything that Sly did. So, but that record in particular, I have a lot of great memories associated with listening to that record. Jane's Addiction, Ritual de la Habitual. Yeah, that, that, that record, that's another one that front to back, there's not a bad song on it. Eric Avery to me was such a powerhouse as far as being a bass player that writes, you know, because like everything sort of started with the bass line and, and he just has those memorable, you know, it's like when you go and you listen to a band sound check, like half the time, I feel like they're playing like, you know, three days or mountain song or something, you know, it's like, it's just, it was really influential on me as a musician. And then we see three others, Rage Against the Machine, the first one. Mm-hmm. The, first, the 90, I think came out in 91. I wore that tape out to the point where I think I bought it like three times. That was like, I just remember at that point in my life, like all my friends, like, and just the, the way that, you know, I think kind of just the way that, that, that music, like how everything was sort of starting to blend together as far as blending hip hop and rock and a lot of different things. And then just a lot of the social issues that were happening at the time. I feel like that band came at the perfect time. Like, it, we needed that band. Like the world needed to hear rage, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kids needed to vent and they needed to, to jump around and they needed to get, you know, go to see shows and see a band, just bring it like that every single night, you know? So I love that record. I love every song on that record. It, it had a huge influence on me, uh, stylistically Two others. Like I said, I, I love okay. Computer. I think that's a big, I think that's a big one. Elbow asleep in the back. Great record. Yeah. Yeah, that's that to me is like that's a kind of record that grows on you. You know, you it like the production I think is pretty amazing on that record. I I really like I I referenced that 
album a lot for just, you know, the songwriting is, is amazing, but I really reference it for tones and for sounds. I think that they took what could have been a collection of songs and they, they really like, they pushed it. You know, they did some really weird, interesting things, but they wound up with this absolutely just beautiful record. And then I'm a big fan of, and I feel like I'm always saying this wrong, but Sigaros. Sigaros. Thank you. Now I know how to officially <laughs> say it. I've been a fan for, you know, 15 years or whatever. <laughs> uh, Tack. Talk. Yes. Great record. That album is absolutely magnificent. I mean, it's just, it's so grand and so beautiful and it's just like oh my god you can't listen to that and not be affected by it very cool so the last question for you guys is what have you been working on lately we're, we're actually working on some stuff now that i just i got back from tour we're doing some stuff together and it's kind of nice because we've had a little break so we're kind of getting back on the horse you know which mm-hmm. is great because it's been a few months before before i left we we did we're actually picking back up with the record with a rock band from dallas called jibe Mm-hmm. that is a really, really, really amazing band that my band used to tour with a long time ago. And then the band split up and then they just recently got back together and they were one of my favorite bands from back in the day. So to get to work with them as a producer for me is like kind of a dream come true. You know, I just, I, I was such a big fan of the band. I love them. So we're, we're starting back up on that here actually this week uh, to finish the second half of that record. We're something that we're doing that we're both doing together that we're co-producing that we're both really really involved in is uh, we're working with Dalton Rapatoni. Dalton was just he just finished third on the last the farewell season of American Idol. He is he is just an awesome kid. He's an awesome songwriter. I feel like I feel like this record is really going to turn turn heads. I mean, it's going to I think it's going to make a lot of people and a lot of people that may hate the whole American Idol thing. You know, I think I think it's going to I think it's going to break down a lot of those doors. I feel like people are going to listen to it and they're going to be pretty blown away. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook share or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.